the Underdog Podcast from SB Nation and Underdog Dynasty. Welcome to yet another edition of the Conference USA Underdog Podcast here on UnderdogDynasty.com, SB Nation's home for G5 football. As we uh, get closer to the draft, we'll of course be talking about that soon enough, but for now, we're continuing our off-season series diving into each team in the league, seeing what's going on as spring ball is rolling and teams get ready for the 2019 season. Today, uh, for the Owls fans that listen to us, we have a special treat for you as we dive into uh, decision battles, injuries, and uh, you know, so a myriad of other topics related to Rice Owls. Our guest today is Mr. Glenn Hill. He is the Rice Beat writer for the Houston Chronicle, covers the football program as uh, as well as a few other programs over there. And you can find him on Twitter at Rice Cron, R-I-C-E-C-H-R-O-N. Uh, Mr. Hill, thank you so much for coming on today. Hey, what's going on? Thanks for having me. Yeah, of course. And, uh, you know, if our audience, if you need a reminder at this point, sorry, but uh, I'm Joe Lonergan, of course, with uh, with my buddy Eric Henry. And uh, Eric, how you doing? Doing all right. You know, this is typically the point in the podcast where I, I rub in the fact that it is uh, 85 degrees and sunny down here in Florida. But, you know, we've got another guest who who, who uh, has uh, great weather as well. So I won't uh, I won't tag team uh, uh, you, Joe. We'll just we'll let it be. You're up there in the Pacific Northwest and it is what it is. So. All right. Keep, keep in mind, we, we improved our recording setup a little bit. So I have the power to remotely mute you. So I'll keep that in mind. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, oh, my gosh. Uh, Eric, I'll let you kind of start with the line of questioning, just because I know there's a lot we got to get to about this program that's that's still transitioning from uh, you know in the second year now of uh, the Mike Bloomgren era. So, uh, Eric, please take it away. Yeah, absolutely. And once again, Glenn, thanks for coming on, making the time. Uh, just first question to start off: general observation. Where do you feel that Mike Bloomgren is in as far as the rebuild process? And what's the biggest challenge, in your opinion, that you, you see facing them heading to next season? Man, Eric, that's uh, that's such a difficult question to answer because there's this is a one-win team, what, two years ago. Um, they sort of barely got that second win over Old Dominion last year, although I think a lot of guys around the program thought it was a really important one to actually show growth. Um, and so, I mean, as I try to answer that question, um, I mean, it's year two. That's all I can really say. Um, last year, I think, especially from a coach's perspective, they were really trying to figure out what the heck they actually even have on this team, um, trying to figure out the lay of the land in terms of like what coaching and recruiting and operating at Rice actually looks like. Um, and then for the players, especially the defensive players, um, obviously Rice was really embarrassing in terms of pass defense a lot of times last year. Um, but one thing to consider is that they were on their last year, that is, they were on their third defensive coordinator in three years. Um, and so just in general, there's a lot of change. Um, the, some of the seniors, some of the juniors, some of the older guys on this team were, were sort of part of the bailiff era as some late changes were happening, I guess, as he was attempting to try to salvage his job uh, two years ago. So there's just a lot of change. And right now, I think um, – the stage that they're at is sort of solidifying now. There was a lot of change. There was a lot of movement. There was a lot of newness, a lot of freshness. And now I think where they're at is, is trying to solidify things, trying to get more consistent with some things. Um, and for the things that they were trying to instill from a cultural perspective, from a perhaps strategic perspective in terms of uh, getting these guys in Bloomgren's uh, uh, weight program, um, a lot of these things are now sort of like taking hold. So I think 
year two was really about consistency and uh, maybe sort of making sure that a lot of these things that I just mentioned are ingrained in the guys and in the program. Let me go ahead and ask you this. Having seen Rice up close and personal when they came to FIU, one of the things that really impressed me, quite frankly, was, yeah, they may have caught FIU sleepwalking, for lack of a better phrase, but they were in that game uh, into halftime. My memory starts to be correct. It was a four-point yeah. game at halftime. Yeah, and, and I was really impressed with, essentially with the fight that they showed, especially, you know, Glenn, if you remember that game, the Rice played – I believe they played three quarterbacks. I know Evan Marshman and Wiley Green all saw time. Uh, as well, I know Sean Stankovich was hurt. So I mean, they're a team that, despite the injuries coming at them and, and the losses as well, they kept fighting hard. Can you just talk about, you know, this team seems to have taken the Mike Bloomgren pretty quickly? No, I mean, you, you hit on it just uh, right there. One of the things from my, I guess, from a local perspective that's a little frustrating in covering Rice is that I think uh, perhaps the program's a little forgettable or at least it's easy to sort of, like, broad brush um, where people say, hey, you know, this team sucks, they're terrible, uh, they're not going to be good, blah, blah, blah. But, I mean, if you actually watch this team, I think that's not the story. It's very clear that um, although they need work in some areas, I think finishing games would be one of those areas, um, I think that if you watch, you can see a lot of positives and you can see the growth and you can see the improvement and you can see the talent that this team actually has. You just talked about that FIU game. Um, I, I would even point to that U of H game. They played Houston at Oliver and Houston. By the way, they played L at Oliver and Houston with a redshirt freshman making his third start against Oliver um, in the second or third game of the season last year. And I think Rice was actually winning that game up um, at halftime. Uh, so, I mean, if you watch this Rice team play, they, they've got talent. They've got some players. And even though for yet another offseason, they've lost a few of those guys like Zach Abercrombie and uh, Roe Wilkins up front. Um, they've got some pieces. And, I mean, you talked about the quarterbacks as well, I think. Uh, I'm sure we'll get to this a little later. But uh, Wiley Green, I think, is a guy who uh, I think they're really confident in his poise. They really like his poise. And they think that he's very much the quarterback of the future, uh, regardless of who wins that job this season. Yeah, we absolutely will touch on the quarterback. I'll let Joe take the lead on that. Uh, but you did mention – uh, some of the players that they lost. I want to talk about some of the skilled position players that they have on offense returning. And just from my observation, Rice seems to be in fairly excuse me, seems to be in fairly decent shape with guys like Aaron Cephas, Jordan Myers, uh, Austin Trammell, uh, uh, Aston Walter, et cetera. Can you just talk about some of the pieces that they have in place right now? Yeah, sure. And um, I would throw a couple of other names in there. Um, uh, someone like a Cam Montgomery, who was a, a – I think he was a 100-meter champion in high school, um, was a receiver. He's had some injury issues, just switched to running back this year. Um, so I think he, maybe Aston Walter, will sort of serve as their uh, their speed guys or change of pace guys. They've got another guy, Ari Broussard, um, who's a former linebacker, who uh, they're, they're trying to sort of turn him into their, their power back. They've um, got another true freshman, Jawan King, who figures to be uh, – uh, I don't know if he'll if he'll be a prominent piece, but just another another bigger back. And again, this is a power power running philosophy, and so th those are the kind of guys that they definitely want to have. So I think he'll be in the mix as well. Um, and then as, as far as those receivers go, um, uh, Jordan Myers, Aaron Cephas, Austin Trammell, these are some guys who, especially with Aaron, um, folks have sort of known about their potential for a while. Um, People have been saying, yeah, man, how about Aaron? Like, I can't wait until he finally sort of puts it all together. I can't wait until he sort of has a more consistent showing throughout the season. 
Um, and it seems like this offseason and sort of a little bit of last year, if you're going to include Austin Trammell's production, um, it seems like now this is the year that those guys really take that big step in terms of not just being, you know, young guys who have potential, but uh, being players who, on the one hand, help a young quarterback and Wiley will likely be a young quarterback and Wiley Green along. Um, but then on the other hand, that sort of more coming to their own in terms of being like the uh, game changing sort of uh, uh, guys who who very much factor into this offense and what it's trying to do instead of guys who are more role players, you know. Absolutely, and you also touched on the defense a little bit earlier as far as you know some of the struggles and getting them on on the same page and getting them up to par. But a player who really impressed me uh, once again is it throughout the entire year and uh, when he came to FIU, he had a handful of tackles, I believe a forced fumble as well as Cody Calderon um, had an excellent uh, freshman season. What oh do you think God, the right yeah. fans can expect from him uh, going into next year? Uh, that is pretty – man, he is such a good player, I'll tell you. And it's funny that last year there was a, the safety opposite him, George Nyakwal. He was sort of the young – I think he was a redshirt freshman, redshirt sophomore last year. Um, he was sort of the young safety that was expected to, you know, come up with four interceptions, who was expected to make some noise. Um, he's a quiet guy, but he's expected to make a lot of noise on the field. But then Prudy, who was a, who was a true freshman last year, um, he comes out of San Marcos, and by the time that season's over, he has four interceptions, which I think is the most for a Rice DB since Philip Gaines, um, who's in the NFL. So he really, I don't know, he really took this team by storm, and I think they have a really high expectations for him. Obviously, his performance sort of set that bar high. Um, but even beyond him, I would say that going back to Nyakwal, you've got a guy like a Juco kid in Naeem Smith. Um, you've got, I think, really this entire secondary, including Prudy. Um, freshmen and sophomores had really taken over this secondary by the time you get to that old Dominion game. Um, and so I think what was a really uh, porous secondary early and maybe that first entire first half of the season last year, um, that entire secondary led by Calderon is going to come back a lot to, um a lot better. I think they're going to just, especially this off season, they're mastering this system a little more, getting another year in that system. And sort of going back to what I said about this defense playing three uh, or having three defensive coordinators over a three year period. I think that's part of the reason why people like Calderon shined last year is that they're coming in with the same amount of knowledge about this, about Brian Smith's philosophy um, as the seniors and the juniors were, you know. And so he was able to come in and, you know, a guy like Antonio Montero, who was his roommate, um, who uh, I guess he was a starter towards the end of last year as well at linebacker. He's another guy who's going to factor into the uh, – in, in terms of being a big uh, piece of this defense this year. So, um, I, got, I, got, I guess I, I think I answered your question. But the point <laughs> is that there's a, lot of, there's a lot of young guys on this defense who uh, – who I think are worth uh, looking at, although Prudy, obviously, with those four picks, is sort of the sexy pick in terms of production. No, I think you you touched on a lot of great points there. You know, for for our, our CUSA listeners, we're trying to get uh, accustomed and trying to get familiar with the rest program. It's great to have as much knowledge as possible. And for those of you listening, we have Glenn Hill from the Houston Chronicle as a rice beat writer. But, Glenn, in your latest article, something that you wrote kind of stood out to me. You, it was kind of a, a line about recruiting, which you said, Rice has taken a geographically diverse approach to recruiting. I wonder if you can expand on that, because most people, including myself, would think being in Texas, there wouldn't be much of a reason to recruit outside of the state. Yeah, I mean, um, I'm glad you pointed that out, because 
when I first started reporting on that, that was one thing that even Rice fans were saying, well, why do we need to go outside of Texas? Well, well wait a minute. Wait, <laughs> why would you leave? Like, we're in Texas already. Um, but, I mean, even from the very beginning, Bloomgren, he's obviously coming from Stanford. He's heavily influenced by David Shaw. Um, and uh, I don't know if you remember the comments David Shaw made about the SEC a while ago. Um <laughs> But Bloomberg does not feel that same way. But just in terms of, of taking a more, I don't know, broader scope at recruiting, he has a certain profile of player that he wants to attract. And at the end of the day, if you're going to limit yourself to Texas, uh, I mean, <laughs> that's not really I – don't, I don't think that that's the wisest thing to do, even from, like, a mathematical perspective. If you're trying to cast a wide net to get a certain type of player – um, I think that you kind of do need to survey the country, and that's something that he said before. Um, he looks at schools, um, you know, obviously, you know, Texas Tech, Texas A&M, uh, U of H. There's other uh, schools that might compete for the same athletes as him in Texas, but at the end of the day, more often than not, he's going up against Northwestern. He's going up against Duke. In some cases, he's going up against Stanford, maybe like a UCLA. Um, those are the schools who he's competing with, and at the end of the day, those schools uh, tend to recruit nationally. Um, and so he sort of takes the same perspective. If I want a certain type of player, then I, I've got to, I mean, there's no other way but expanding beyond Texas in order to try to get them. Um, and so part of it is like casting a wider net to up the talent of the program, which is something he's said pretty directly before. Um, and also part of it is just like not limiting yourself to Texas and him being him just, I think, being a sharp and sort of resourceful person in general in life. Um, he's got Robbie Picasso, his quarterback's coach, who was Andrew Luck's backup at Stanford, and he's got a lot of connections down in uh, Southern California, which is where I think Jake Bailey, the top recruit in this past class, came from, which, like, that's a guy who, I mean, no disrespect to David Bailiff, I don't know if they're landing <laughs> a star player from one of the top three high school programs in America at Rice. I mean, I don't know if they're doing that two years ago. Um, and so that, that feeds into it. You've got former special teams coordinator Pete Lembo and defense coordinator Brian Smith. Um, to an extent, um, one of the DB coaches, Gerard Wilcher. You've got guys who have big-time connections up in Michigan and Pennsylvania and up in the Northeast. Um, where, I mean, Tom Stewart, the, the kid from the quarterback from Harvard, he's coming. He's from Dallas. But just speaking to the ability to go up into the Northeast um, in general um, and develop connections and lure people from there down to Rice, um, that's something that I think Bloomgren has sort of had his eye on doing in general. I think it's something when when he sort of uh, stated his desire to recruit more nationally from the very beginning, it was something that I think people were nervous about, maybe because they didn't think that Rice could do it or because, like you said, I mean, Texas has a lot of talent. But at the end of the day, I think he's uh, – He's convinced or persuaded a lot of other people, a lot of people, um, that his method is, I don't know, very effective because he's had a lot of luck so far. Um, just one final thing I'll say. I think if you look back at um, those 24 7 classes, Bayliff, I mean, he was getting his recruiting classes were con mainly um, comprised of guys from Texas. You might have like a guy from Indiana, a guy from like, he had, you know, a little Canadian pipeline going on. Um, but at the end of the day, uh, Bloomgren, I mean, he's getting folks from like seven, eight different states, including Texas. And so um, I think in his view, that's where um, Antonio Montero, that's a guy who came from Minnesota. Uh, when's the last time a guy from Minnesota was playing at Rice? Um, Cole Garcia, I think, uh, I think he's from New York. Um, so you've got these guys who are very much stepping in and becoming freshman starters who are from these areas. And I think if he's just recruiting from Texas, you might not have that. 
or he might not even be able to lure those guys necessarily. Yeah, it's something that we see here at FIU as well. Bush Davis has taken that approach. If you even take from this uh, last recruiting class, you have a guy like Stone Norton, who's Mr. Football in Tennessee, mm. Joe Hopper, who came out of Ohio, you know, and it, it's it's similar to Rice in the sense that you look at where FIU is and you say they have all this great speed in South Florida. Why would they ever leave South Florida? But if you're able mm-hmm. to put together uh, a staff that can recruit multiple areas of the country, why not, you know, take the, the opportunity and do it? So it makes perfect sense what um, exactly. we're trying to go with Rice. Um, just, you know, going to finish up here as far as my questions go. We like to, with our guests, you know, veer away from football for a second, throw a couple, a couple softball questions out there. So, Glenn, here's my question for you. Uh, you're checking your, your Twitter bio. Uh, you're from Philly. You end up going to HU and going to uh, DC, and then you end up in Houston. Uh, what are your top three things about living in Houston, living in the Lone Star State, coming from being an East Coast guy? Oh, wow. Put me on the spot there. Oh, um, <laughs> uh, well, I mean, shoot, you said, you said the first thing already, which is the weather. Um, <laughs> Uh, let's see, that's number one. Philly, man, Philly is a good food city, but Houston, uh, people, people back home might kill me for this, but I think Houston definitely might have the leg up there. Um, and so just in terms of like the, like the range of food that's here and then just also the quality, um, also just like, I don't know, maybe this is my own family, but Northeasterners in my experience don't quite know how to do barbecue as well as they do down here. So that's, uh. That's definitely a thing. Um, hmm, that's one, two. Um, ah, da, 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 da. Hmm, I don't know if I can name a third one. Uh, <laughs> we might, we might, I, I, I put you on the spot, so I understand. <laughs> Saying Houston has better food than Philly, you're going to wake up with a cheesecake in your bed like that scene in The Godfather. No, no, exactly. That's why I'm trying to. I'm trying to ride a fine line here. I don't. I might. I might get a little blasphemous if I start uh, naming more things. <laughs> uh, it's all good. We'll we'll get off of that before you before you blaspheme the city of brotherly love too much. Uh, <laughs> but uh, wins and losses aside, for Rice last year, a big bright spot for the team uh, has been Jack Fox, uh, who you could argue is probably one of the better kicker slash punters uh, in football right now with the NFL draft coming up. What are your expectations for him as he continues uh, his career in the pros? You know, by all accounts, it seems like he's a top three punter. Um, I mean, obviously I think everyone who's, who's watched him both at that East West trying game, if you watch him during the season, the first thing that sticks out to you is his leg and the fact that he just booms these 50 yard punts. But where I think I, um, perhaps I guess for his, for his future where I think he'll be most effective is the fact that last year or last off season, one thing he worked really hard on was his coffin corner punting. So being able to not just punt with, with, you know, that 50, 55, 60 yard power, um, but also being able, uh, you know, especially with a team like rice where you didn't necessarily have a great long range field goal kicker. Um, he had to uh, polish his ability to, from the 45, from the 50, being able to plant that ball within the 20-yard line. And last year, I mean, I think you saw that if you watched Rice games, I mean, almost casually, he was just casually planting punts inside the 10-yard line, sometimes inside the five. Um, and so I think that's where, uh, in terms of his NFL prospect, that's where I think he'll be really valuable if he can uh, consistently do that, you know, booting, booting the ball with a lot of power and those, uh, those sort of deep high kicks that make you say, ooh, ah, but then also, like I said, being able to just 
playing a dagger inside the 10-yard line like he does. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Yeah, I when I watch kickers, it's like watching golfers almost. It's like when you see these guys that have the form down so perfectly, they make it look fabulous, and that's certainly what what's going on with with Fox. So excited to see what he can do at the next level. Um, totally. But uh, with that, we'll talk a little bit about what's going on with Rice in the future. Um, certainly a lot of good talent coming in nationally, as you talked about. Uh, but one of the things that's kind of been an issue for, for Rice has uh, been players transferring out uh, over the last couple of years. Uh, but with the amount of talent that's on their roster, if they can keep everybody healthy and in the system – there could be some high expectations for Rice moving into 2020 and beyond. Uh, what do you think about the notion of this team, you know, getting back to, you know, contending within the league at that point or uh, possibly not? You know, what, what do you think about that? You know, I'm, I'm glad that you touched on the transfers because I think last year, particularly as you saw a lot of these young freshmen stepping into starting roles, um, I think for the rest of CUSA, one thing that might be a little scary is the fact that some of these guys still maintain their red shirts. I believe Wiley would be one of those guys included. I think he's a red shirt freshman uh, in terms of his classification. So, um, yeah, I think as we're looking ahead to 2020 on paper, this is a team that could very much be a force in uh, and a contender in Conference USA. But like you said, the last two years, um, particularly this, this offseason maybe, they've really sort of gutted. Uh, Roe Wilkins is a guy who – I mean, he was not going to lose his job. He was going to be a major factor up on uh, up on the defensive line. Zach Abercrombie was a returning captain. Um, you know, someone like a Justin Bickham, who I think just committed to Iowa State, he's someone who they will miss a little less. But even going back to last year, you had a guy, B.J. Banks, who he had quite a few picks for Colorado after transferring to Colorado State. J.T. Ebay was playing at South Carolina. You, I mean, you've almost got an entire defense worth, worth of guys who are playing at these Power 5 schools. Um, and so that's what makes it difficult to, to look ahead and try to guess what Rice could be next year um, because these, these off-season departures really seem to gut them. At the same time, though, um, I think perhaps, you know, if Bailiff were still the coach, I think it would be a little more concerning um, because Bailiff did not quite have the ability to attract both Juco talent but then also grad transfers to Rice, which is something that Bloomgren has done I think either just as much as him or even a little bit more at this point in just two years um, versus 11, the, the 11 that Bailiff had. So on the one hand, I think there is a silver lining in the fact that even if Rice does lose some guys next off season, um, I don't imagine that any of those guys will be some of these young key players like Green or uh, like a Calderon. Like I don't see those guys leaving. Um, so I think that bodes well. And then, like I said, the fact that someone like Naeem Smith, someone like Blaze Aldridge, um, uh, someone like Nick Leverett, who's going to start at uh, guard, likely, um, you've got some guys who transferred into the school, and that's something that Rice didn't really have consistently before. So 
Um, I guess it's a double-edged sword, but I think Rice fans can – the positive takeaway for them is that Rice can actually get some of these guys now, even if they lose them. Staying on the topic of grad transfers, uh, here's – you know, amongst ourselves over at Underdog, we kind of have conversations about the different rules that kind of go into – uh, you know, with the with regards to the transfer portal and eligibility and all that. And one thing that we've kind of seen to notice with Rice and some of these other schools that have such high academic standards is you see guys come in, do the four years, earn that degree, and then they'll transfer to another, you know, quote unquote, you know, traditional football centric school. Um, so do you, A, have you kind of noticed that happening with Rice, these guys coming in, getting the degree that will, you know, look good later on in life and then try to get another year or two at, you know, a place where maybe they feel like they have a, a better opportunity to either win or be a big part of like a football culture, I guess? No, 200%. I mean, that's absolutely part of it. Um, um, I mean, I'm trying to think of a specific example, but it really applies to so many of these guys. Um, and in fact, I guess I just have to flip it. Like Abercrombie might be the only guy who I can think of who is leaving for, I don't know, more personal sort of family uh, reasons. Whereas with so many of those other guys, it, that's exactly it. Um, I guess this year you have a little bit more diversity in terms of those the reasons for those departures. People like, like I said, Bickham, Jackson Tyner, um, that they might have been a little more playing Houston Robert, they might have been a little more playing time related. Um, but overall, with basketball, with football, that is absolutely what Rice deals with quite a bit. And even beyond just, I mean, obviously Rice is a, is a challenging school academically. That obviously plays a role, like you just touched on. Um, but one thing that you know, when you talk to players, uh, you know, when you sort of talk them off to the side in a more casual setting, not necessarily after practice or around other reporters. They will speak to um, uh, you know, discrimination is way too strong of a word here, um, but this sense of maybe like isolation sometimes being at a school where you know you're sort of a, people assume you kind of got there specifically because because of sports they don't really they don't really see you as their equal necessarily in the classroom and so maybe like on a cultural level um, I think that there are other things going on in addition to it being a tough academic school. I think there are some smaller aspects, uh, some other aspects to it. I think you touched on, on it as well, um, particularly for the better players um, that have come through Rice. One thing that they've complained, not complained about, but one thing that they've expressed is that uh, they have a slight sense of, uh, I don't know, bittersweetness about, you know, working as hard as they did and getting to the level of talent that they have, but then not really, like I said, you sort of get disrespected sometimes on campus versus being like the, you know, the big man on campus and having the more stereotypical college athletes experience at like an SEC school perhaps. Um, and so some of them sort of lament not really being able to experience that as well. Um, so I think I think that there's a number of factors, but I, I think that the academic one is is the primary one. That's that's fascinating. Um, I, I guess before I wanted to take deeper on that, but um, overall, does it feel like uh, you know just from as an observer of the college football space, do you think that rule of being immediately eligible as a graduate transfer, you think that tends to to hurt? 
these programs with higher academic standards more than it helps them? Or what do you think? Uh, I mean, in, in light of the dynamic that you just mentioned, the fact that, that I don't think that that is exclusive to Rice, if you work that hard, I mean, half, half the reason the coaches sell these guys when coming to a school like Rice is to get that degree, is to, I forget the exact quote, but essentially saying, you know, hey, the NFL is a 10-year deal maybe, but this is more of a, you know, this is worrying about like your 30-year career after that. Um, and so that's a big part of the selling point of getting into Rice. And so just by the very nature of that dynamic, um, I, I mean, I think that they're a school like Rice is always kind of going to be, uh, you know, get the short end of the stick because of that. At the same time, like I said, there is there is a silver lining for Rice guys and the fact that they can attract, they can still attract some of these guys. Um, although I think, I think all things considered, the talent they're losing might slightly outweigh that which they're bringing in. But Sure. I mean, they're bringing in a little bit. I mean, it's it's interesting that I wonder what the experience was of their transfer from Harvard, where, you know, if you want to go, you know, go somewhere where the football culture is a little bigger, obviously you want to go to Texas. But Rice isn't necessarily the the school that a lot of people, I guess, would think of when you think of a, a football school or football culture. But I think you think that had something to do with it. Yeah, and I mean, even on the other side of that, like a guy like Nick Leverett, who I mentioned, he's a I think he's a starter at tackle for North Carolina Central, where the offense, Rice's offensive coordinator used to be the head coach a year or two ago. Um, but he's a guy who, um, you know, the idea of getting a Rice degree, the idea of getting a graduate degree from Rice, the idea of having Rice on your resume – that can also have a, uh, you know, the opposite effect where it, it attracts a guy there to say that I want rice on my resume. Again, I, I think that more often than not, it, it goes the other way around. But again, just speaking, I guess, trying to tackle all angles of this topic, I think that there are some guys who are drawn to the idea of getting a rice degree. And in one in one particular case, there's a former rice defensive player who transferred to a power five school but he actually wanted to stay at rice he wanted to uh he wanted to be able to say that he went to rice for grad school as well but academics didn't necessarily line up for him but um so all that to say is that i think that in a small way uh rice does can you know find ways to benefit from it but i think like overall yeah it it tends to hurt them yeah yeah it'll be uh that trend continues uh, throughout the Bloomgren era and, you know, maybe there'll be, maybe there's the possibility that that culture can shift a little bit. Uh, but um, real quick, before we, we start wrapping up, um, with spring football being underway, you talked about Wiley Green uh, having a, a shot at winning that starting quarterback. Uh, what's your kind of take on the group right now? And, and who do you think is the, the starter week one? If I had to guess, I would probably say it would be Wiley. Um, by many accounts, he's come into this. He had a slow start to spring, but he's really found his rhythm and uh, sort of re-exhibiting that poise um, that that coaches really sort of fell in love with um, last season. Uh, and I mean, even going back to last year, Green was a guy who uh, I think the initial plan had been to, to redshirt him back when you had Charleston Cabbage and Jackson Tyner and back when Sam Glazman was a quarterback, you had a lot more quarterbacks. And so I think the plan was initially to redshirt Wiley, but Green, uh, Bloomberg never actually committed to redshirting it, but 
because it sounded like he had always sort of been intrigued by by playing him and seeing what he could actually do as a true freshman. Um, so even going back to that, I think that I wouldn't call Green anointed, but I think that coach he's intrigued coaches from from the very beginning. Um, and I think because of that, because of him actually being in camp now and being able to develop a rhythm with a guy like Aaron Cephas, um, being able to sort of show uh, his continued growth, I think that that puts him on the front foot and maybe gives him a slight edge over Tom, um, who's coming in. I understand that he ran a similar scheme, um, but I, I, I could I could envision a situation where Green is the starter and Stewart is sort of your veteran reliable backup, especially if Green can't stay healthy. Um, and Bloomgren is big on competition, so also just having another capable well, guy who has started before uh, to sort of apply that backwind or apply that pressure to uh, to Green if he, uh, he maybe starts to play a little consistently. Uh, my, my last question is sort of more about uh, Coach Bloomgren and the differences uh, in kind of, I guess, just the media culture surrounding the program. Have you noticed any significant changes between uh, – just the vibe within the the media covers the school and from when uh, Bale was the head coach to now Ingrins at the helm. Oh yeah, oh yeah. I mean, I wouldn't say that it's a dramatic shift, but I suppose for Rice, it, it kind of is. Um, um, yeah, I think there definitely is both in in terms of some of the reports, like some of the local guys that had always been here, maybe kind of showing up a little more, having uh, a little bit more interest in what's happening. Um, versus with with bailiff, I don't know. I, I wouldn't say that there was not excitement with bailiff, but I also think, I mean, even for me, I mean, I started the job when during bailiff's last year, um, and I think as a reporter, I mean, it's unwise to sort of assume that a guy is going to be gone in a year. But at the same time, I mean, like subconsciously, I think that still kind of does a, like, you know, people like we're, we're reporters, we're following this thing, so we're not idiots. We know kind of what's about to happen, um, and so. I say that to say that with Bloomgren, I think since he's come in, there have been there have been some things at the, at a higher level with the athletic department that have happened um, that have maybe contributed and really on the, like, as a school as a whole. Um, don't quote me on this. I think there was a the uh, cast of policy last year, uh, essentially like helping cover the tuition students. Say that again, sorry. I just. I don't think either of us said anything, but go ahead. Oh, okay, my bad. <laughs> um, but yeah, so they had um, they had this. Um, oh God, I forget what exactly it is. The point is that the school's going to help offset tuition if your family comes in under a certain amount of money, um, and so that's something. Especially, you know, Bluebird loves his walk-ons, and so that's something that is a huge advantage, competitive advantage in terms of trying to lure a walk-on. And, and in his case, Bluebird has gotten walk-ons who wanted to go to other schools, um, but came to walk on to Rice, which is not cheap. Um, well, had not been cheap, I guess. Um, and so all that to say, again, is that there are, there are a lot of changes that have even been happening above the football program that have lended to this momentum that Bloomgren himself has, has added with just his energy and what he's trying to do. And I think the media has, has been relatively responsive to that, um, just in terms of like showing up more consistently and maybe taking a greater interest in even one or two sort of new new like bloggers, whoever, kind of showing up to uh, uh, capitalize on the, the attention and the I guess the success that they expect will come. Okay. 
Yeah, yeah. It, it definitely seems like we're having a little more fun covering the Yeah. It's yeah. just from following on Twitter. So that's good to see. Never want to have people who are like on top of covering a team that, that doesn't win a lot. If, you know, if if it's a, an environment that's not fun, then obviously that makes for, for bad coverage. But no, yeah, exactly, exactly. Yeah, yeah. And thankfully you have uh, talented writers like yourself in the space covering covering the team. So obviously appreciate the hard work you do, man. Hey, thank you. Yeah, of course. Uh, so the Rice Owls play their spring game uh, this Saturday, the 13th at 11 a.m. Uh, by the time this publishes, uh, that game will probably have already been played, but uh, we'll see. And uh, Rice opens up the season on Friday, August 30th, on the road against Army. Only a few more months away. Uh, before we start wrapping up, I want to thank our guest, Mr. Glenn Hill, once again, and Eric Henry, who does a fantastic job as always. Uh, and big thanks to our producer, Taylor Bauer, always making the show sound good and uh, doing everything that he does for the site. Uh, be sure to follow at Underdog Dynasty on Twitter if you are not already. Like us on Facebook and check back on the site every single day throughout the offseason. And uh, we'll have a big NFL draft mega episode coming along soon with our good buddies, Joe Broback and Joe Serpico. So be on the lookout for that and uh, subscribe to the show on iTunes. Leave us a review, help us grow. And I think that about covers it. So until next time, happy football watching everybody. Mm -hmm.